Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the One Short Podcast, the Sports Gazette's official cricket podcast. As always, I'm Toby, joined by Ayush. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Toby? Yeah, good, thanks. We've got a really exciting episode. First ever guest on this podcast. We're joined by Nick Friend from The Cricketer. How are you, Nick? I'm good. I didn't know I was the... I didn't know I was first. Sorry to let sorry to let the side down. No, definitely not, mate. It's going to be an exciting episode. Should be should be a good one. But yeah, we're going to talk a lot about the Cricket World Cup, obviously, which is currently underway. England are taking on India at the moment in what should be quite an interesting game. England are starting to find their form over halfway through the tournament. It's a bit late. Um, but I think we better start with the obvious. Nick, England at bottom of the table at the moment, just one win from their five matches. They seem to everything just seems to be going horribly wrong for the team. What what do you make of it or what what do you think the biggest problem's been so far? It's just not played very well. Um like I I don't think there's any massive smoking gun, to be honest. I just think I think it is a great team coming to the end of its uh, natural cycle um, that hasn't played very much ODI cricket in the last four years and probably hasn't had enough probably therefore hasn't had much opportunity to glean I guess where some of these guys are still at in the format I think it's quite telling the bloke who's played the most ODIs in the last four years is the one who's been he's the one who's left out of the squad at the last minute Jason Roy and that he's the you know he's the one who I guess through you know through through playing through being available for those games and through being injured and picking up his back spasms and stuff like that, have, you know, people become aware, I guess people have opened their eyes, become aware to to that fallibility in, in a way that perhaps hasn't been seen with the guys who have been rested for these games because they've played so much test cricket and T20 cricket and, and franchise cricket in the meantime. So we're sort of realising in real time that a couple of these guys, I don't think there's that many of them, perhaps it's one tournament too far, but in stuff, I thought Massa saying, as as he tends to do, nailed it last after the Shranky game, there are there are seven or eight blokes in this squad. Seven or eight blokes in the squad. He put in England's all time best white ball eleven. You know, I don't think they've picked the wrong guys. I don't think there's anyone at home. I'd have taken. I'd, I would have taken Jason Roy. And I've said that all along. But apart from Roy, and you know, delights to Joffrey Archer if he was fit. Um, apart from those two, you would struggle to say that England are losing because player X or player Y aren't playing. And, and frankly, I think I don't think the argument that they're not playing the One Day Cup holds much water either. Um, they didn't play much in the one day cup beforehand, and and, and nor does Quinton de Kock play in South Africa's domestic comp or the Indian lads or the Afghan guys or, or you know m- frankly most of these players. Just the way the schedule works these days, that if something has to give, it, it tends to be it tends to be that domestically. And it sounds silly to say, but it's put to make it that simple. They've got a lot of guys out of nick at the same time, which is quite rare, and and perhaps there is something underlying within the camp that we don't know about or, or you know, that, that has led to this. The, the, the amount of travelling that takes place in India makes it quite difficult for guys to hit their way back into form or even to just rest by a pool for a couple of days and, you know, and get the body going again and, 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 and relax properly. And there's a lot of, if you're bowler who's struggling for rhythm, then you're hopping on a flight the next day. And particularly with England playing in nine different venues and nine different cities, that's not, that can't be easy. But um, they have just not played well. And, whether that's Josh Butler or Johnny Bairstow or Chris Wokes. And it's no coincidence the game we're watching right now is, you know, England have got the most control they've had in any game so far because because Chris Wokes has bowled really nicely and Wokes has been the metronome for six, seven years, really, in that, for what, eight years in that white ball size in 2015. When he bowls well, when he plays well, England play well. When he doesn't give them the control up front, 
you know, they lose the power play. And if you lose the power play as convincingly as England lost these power plays, you tend not to win very often. But it's not just works the bowl. What is it, two half centuries the last two games? Is that right? Just one, wasn't it? Just Hyper. You know, they got 340 against Bangladesh, who, who've been pretty, frankly, have been pretty dis- dismal themselves. Um, but even then, you know, England were 290 for two and fell away quite dramatically. So it's just not clicked uh, for whatever reason. It's been very odd to watch. Nick mentioned the power play there, particularly Ayush. I mean, missing Joffre Archer is obviously going to be a big miss. Chris Wokes has been struggling as well. But one of the, the big points in the selection was the, the number of new ball bowlers England seemed to seem to pick, and it hasn't really worked. Do you think that this was an error at the beginning and they maybe needed to balance their squad and bring someone like a Bryden Cass who can bowl through the middle overs or try Gus Atkinson a bit earlier on as he was seemed to be one of their better bowlers in, in the one game he's played so far? Yeah, uh, I agree with that. I mean, absolutely spot on from Nick, first of all, kind of summarizing that what has been the problem with this team. I was always in favor, Toby, you know, that of Gus Atkinson coming into the team a lot earlier than he did. I really wanted to see England unleash him. Uh, I wouldn't say right from the start. I would understand why they wouldn't do that. But, you know, getting him relatively earlier uh, than they did. But I get where they're coming from as well. You know, guys like Atkinson and Ryan Gus. Uh, not that experienced, especially at this level, at this at the World Cup stage. So I get where they where they were coming from a little bit. Uh, yes, they were, you know, the guys that could add variety to that pace bowling attack, like you mentioned. And eventually, all we saw was just so many new ball bowlers, so many bowlers, uh, you know, better equipped with bowling up front over there. So yeah, I, I would have liked to see Gus Atkinson, especially earlier, but. Somewhere with the kind of team they have, uh, personally, I saw where they were coming from. It's just, again, like Nick mentioned very rightly, they've just not been firing. It's And it's it's such a big surprise because, I mean, you know, we both predicted England would go on to lift the title uh, before the tournament started. And it would have been great to see them continue that, you know, that fearless, fearless kind of attitude that they have and... Go ahead, but I don't know. Is it just the conditions, is it the travel? I don't know what uh, has been the problem mainly. Things I, I not say they've not made a fair few baffling decisions along the way. England's whole philosophy for eight years has been batting as deep as they possibly can, all rounders doing the job with bat and ball means you can bat, means you can have Rashid ten, Wood eleven, and really you can bat all the way down, which allows guys at the top to go harder and harder. The team they put in South Africa was absolutely mental. As far as far from their plan as they've gone possibly since 2015, you know, without putting too much thought into it. I can't think of another time they've gone so far away from from their their agreed approach. You know, David Willey at seven, that doesn't allow the top six to go hard. If you've got Willie seven, I can't remember who came in at eight, but the teams that have top six and the bottom five, India, probably most starkly, have such a quality controlled top six and they don't go as hard as England do from the outset. They've got all format blokes in the top five who who can manage any situation. England have got someone like Joss Butler at five who you don't really want to see in the 10th over. Liam Livingston at six, certainly you don't want to see him in the 12th, 10th over. You certainly don't want to see David William in the 11th over. You know, but that that game was emblematic of how little clarity they've had. And I say, whether that's because they've, whether that's because they're not used to playing this badly or because they've not had enough cricket, one day cricket in the last four years, or whether losing Reese Topley threw things up in the air. The real elephant in the room is Ben Stokes. Stokes is. You know, Stokes coming in as the specialist batter at the last minute was meant to solve loads of, loads of issues. Ultimately, what Stokes coming in does, and actually Stokes coming in doesn't cause issues because they were always going to be picking a specialist batter in that position, whether it was Brooke or Roy or whoever, or Milan, the three and Roy and Bairstow at the top, whatever they're going to do. Stokes not being able to bowl is the, is, is the issue because it means that you're then having these discussions about whether you can afford to pick Gus Atkinson and Reese Topley because it lengthens your tail. Or, or that, that, that is the only way, that is why you end up with David Willey at seven. If Stokes is fit to bowl, then one of Willie or Atkinson doesn't play that game against Africa at all in the first place because you because then that allows you to pick Brooke and that allows you then to have Livingston at seven. Well, no, Livingston didn't play. So you've got Brooke at seven, for example. And then suddenly your whole depth issues disappear and you've got this perfectly balanced side. India is seeing it right now with, 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 with Hardik injured. You go from having a side that's got Hardik at seven, sorry, Hardik at seven, Jadeja eight to a side that's got what Bumrah or Shami cars coming at eight. That's you know that is that's your top top six bottom five kind of thing that 
that is so risky. And, and that's when you, know, when, you top, when you lose your top order cheaply, it's very hard to win a game from there. Um, but England just... And of course, and that's been heightened by how bad the, the all-rounders have been. No, not just Wokes. That's Wokes, Curran, Livingston, Moeen. None of them have had any, any impact with bat or ball. So you end up in this position where you've... You're worried... <laughs> end up in this position where where you look both light on batting and light on bowl, which is quite an effort, but speaks to how out of nick these guys have been. And, you know, we, we talk about the middle overs. They do have a middle over seam. And Mark Wood, that, that is his job. But he's bowled, but he's been pumped. Because one of the great misnomers of playing cricket in the subcontinent is that you just bowl spin. Then, you know, if you bowl spin, you've got somebody who bowls quick, you're sorted. You still need to bowl well. If you bowl 90 mile an hour and you're bowling wide of off stunt, people, it just goes off the bat for harder and further, which is what they saw with, against Classen, against Mark and whoever it was that was out of the Classen. You know, they, they just not bowled well. So I think if, if you had Woodford firing all cinders, I think Rashid has bowled really well. And actually the reason I'd have gone possibly even more round heavy against Africa is that faced with a with, with what you know will be a high-scoring game at the Waikato, why pick another bowler? You know you're going to be chasing 300s, whether you've got your best attack or, or, or a less good attack. But if you're going to be chasing 300s, you better have the batters to go and chase it. So chasing 400 with what they thought was a better attack, stronger attack for those conditions against that team, you end up chasing more runs with fewer batters on a deck and outfield that was always going to mean that you're going to chase runs in the first place. Yeah, they've not played well, but they've also not thought very well. And a lot of criticism, I, mean, I think there's been a lot of criticism of Josh Butler, which I sort of get because he's the captain of this team. But they thought very well this time 12 months ago and, he won, and they won a T20 World Cup frankly, in, in large part due to his captaincy. So it's not as simple as saying, oh, the captain's a rubbish captain, but they have made a lot of decisions. They've, they've got a lot of things wrong, you know, whether that was the toss against South Africa, the toss against Afghanistan, the team against South Africa. It's been extremely uncharacteristic and not just how poorly they've played, but, but how poorly thought out a lot of this has been. Another thing that I, always, that I thought was slightly weird with their squad selection and, and their thought process was the spin options. They had sort of more frontline spin options playing in England in 2019 with Liam Dawson in the squad than they do now with Livingston and Ali, both as sort of part-timers. I, I wonder whether, as I say, part part of that, it goes back, part of that goes back to the lack of 50 over quickly played as a, as a team, not not domestically, but internationally. Um, and I give a good friend of mine, Cam Ponsby, another quick journalist, tweeted this, and it's a very, good, a very fair point, that the issue with not playing any game doesn't give guys the chance to lose their spot. If you're first choice in 2019 and you're only really playing one in every three between then and then 2023, then it's hard to say, oh, yeah, actually, is Moeen still the guy? Is Dawson the guy now? And I guess that is where the domestic comp comes in. But I think the other thing on the back of that as well is that they, I get the sense they might have overestimated the amount how, how much Dew would be involved in this tournament and, and how much of a, of an impact that would have. And in fact, that would, that would, that would play. Which I think is why they've been keen to have one frontline spinner in Rashid, and then muddle through with Livingston and Moeen, who, if they're batting well enough, you know the bowling sort of takes care of itself. If they need to get through ten overs between them with Joe Root as well, that should be ample. And I don't think you know how many teams. I can't think of many games at tournament where spin has not where spin has won the game, but where spin has won the game because it's been a raging turn. Afghanistan beat England because England played their spinners very poorly. They bowled very well, but it wasn't turning a foot. You know, it wasn't. It was not impossible to bat on, you know, and, and this is quite early on in Indian summer as well. So you're not looking at, you know, you're not looking at pitches that are, are yeah, that are ragging and that are, you know, the guys are bowling, they're sure the top couple of wicket takers are spinners uh, in the tournament, Zampa and Santner, but Santner, you wouldn't say Santner's a big spinner of it. And you said that Zampa is a very, very clever spinner, but I don't think if you pick Liam Dawson, he'd have 14 wickets, England would be flying. You know, I don't, I don't think he's that much. I think he's that much better, or, better or worse spinner than Moeen. Like, I think it's easy to get caught up in the spin thing because it's a subcontinent World Cup, but it's not that extreme level. If you know what I mean? This isn't. They're not playing fifth day goal pitches. Thank God, it'll be the worst tournament ever. But, um, but yeah, like even India, India. I mean, India definitely the best example. Ashwin's has Ashwin played? He's just played, I think, a game. Yeah, like I mean, there's your answer, isn't it? Like, as a general rule, just follow what India are doing. You know, with the balance of their team, they know what they're doing. They they know the grounds, but anyone else, they play at these they play at these places all the time. Um, if you're picking Shardul Thacker ahead of um, Ravi Ravi Ashwin, it's because you don't think 
Spin is going to win you a game. Because although that said, I'd pick Ashwin every day of the week in any conditions. Ayush, Nick also mentioned there the sort of the middle overs for England have been a big issue. Mark Wood in particular has been been hit around a lot. He's had a sort of slightly better last last game or two, but has has been going at tens fairly consistently throughout. Do you think that the loss of Liam Plunkett was was a huge issue from 2019? And they never really replaced him. They just kind of assumed that Mark Wood would be the one to sort of continue through. Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, missing his experience mainly. I think 2019, the biggest thing was his experience. He just knew how to get those wickets in the middle overs. You need someone like that. Again, going back to the example of India as well. Uh, yeah, it's it's led by the spinners in the middle overs, Kuldeep, Jadeja, guys like that. But whenever Shardul plays he gets those wickets. England have really missed that. Even going back to the game against South Africa, I think uh, that was the real, I think, dent in their confidence and morale. Losing that way while, while boiling themselves to death for four hours. I mean, it's all about decisions. That was that was the one, wasn't it? Like, we're going to win the toss and elect to fry while, while, and, and get pumped in the process. The only other thing I'd say on the middle overs, um, a huge you will what the game watching now sums this up really. If you take early wickets, you control the middle overs. If you get pumped in the power play, you've got no control going to middle overs, and suddenly you're on the back. You know, it's it's very difficult to once the ball starts swinging, once the ball gets old, once you've got four men out, it's pretty difficult to take wickets. Um, but if you bollock a drain in the power play, which you're gonna have done for what until today, essentially, you're sort of on hiding to nothing. Uh, you know, I think England thought that Sam Curran and Liam Livingston would help fill the void of. Because they're really the two bowlers who've come in since 2019 into this side. You know, obviously Gus more recently, but what well, he played three ODIs before this World Cup started. I haven't played an ODI at all until August. So, really, the, you know, the long term planning was subcontinent World Cup, Curran, Livingston, a bit of part time spin, and someone who bowls pretty handy, medium pace, and has the cutters and stuff. It made sense. And of course, the other one they lost in the middle overs is Stokes. As we're seeing here with David Willey bowling in a you know, period of play that doesn't normally bowl in 30 odd overs in. You can do that when you've got the oppo four down or three down ten in fifteen overs because you are controlling the game. If if your new ball bowl, new ball bowlers bowlers they have done even the Afghanistan game. If if Ramanullah can give you an eighty run head start, sort doesn't matter how you bowl in the middle overs. If you thought, you thought yesterday's game actually Australia New Zealand was a really good example. Australia won that power play so comprehensively that they could then balls up, frankly, eighty percent of the remainder of their innings and still get three eighty. You know, one hundred twenty for none after ten overs. And then you end up with this this weird period where Marsh is struggling, and then you've got Smith and Labuschagne, whose game isn't to, you know, keep the attack going. Suddenly you're 275 with 10 overs to go. And for New Zealand, that's a massive recovery. But you're still on course to get 380 if you use the last 10 overs well, because you won the power play that comprehensively. And sure, England haven't lost a power play to quite that degree. But, you know, even when they nicked off to Cock in the first over of the South Africa game, it was still 61 after 10 overs. You've not really made any inroads. And if you're then 120 for one, it's very hard to restrict, you know, whether you've got Liam Plunkett there or not. Um, so as much of Plunkett is a loss, he's a bigger loss because of how poorly they bowled up front. How much of a beneficial effect on the squad do you think Joffre Archer would have had? Well, Joffre, made, Joffre, Joffre makes any team better, doesn't he? Because he's, he's Joffre Archer. Um, but, you know, with the greatest will in the world, if your plan was to have Joffre Archer fit, then your, then your plan's not been thought through very well. It's through no fault of his own, and no one wants to be fit more than Joffrey wants to be fit. But he's not been fit for two years. Let's face it, three years consistently. So it's lovely to want everything to come together, and it did come together in 2019. But even then, they faced you know Jason Roy got got injured and did his hamstring, and they struggled for a couple of games. See, this is why I'd have, I'd have brought Roy to the tournament because England are England are a better ODI team with Jason Roy in it, and they have been since 2015 like he it's not the runs he scores it's the way he scores them he whacks good bowlers he whacks good bowling Bairstow and Roy had, had an aura that, that Milan and Bairstow don't have because partly it's a new pairing partly because Milan's got a way of going about his work which is which works but second over the world so first over the World Cup England took 12 off it hit second ball the World Cup for six. Second over the World Cup was a maiden that I can guarantee that just would not have happened four years ago and that's not a criticism allowed because it's the way he plays. He's England's top run scorer. He's got an extraordinary record in ODI cricket. But so much of England was built on the back of just knocking oppositions off their legs straight away and having them off the back foot, on the back foot straight away. The way they've gone about this World Cup, if he bowls straight at Milan, doesn't really get after you. 
even the, the Sri Lanka game, like you know, the, the last defeat, um, it's very easy to say that England were going really well at forty-five for none. They were, but Sri Lanka bowled about as bad as you could possibly bowl them as a pair for the first six overs. But why our volleys at Milan? He'll whack you. But I think Roy looked to whack you whatever he bowled. There's that's it. There's nothing to say that he'd have done the same this time around. There was no evidence for it. He had a terrible hundred. It's another great hundred. He's obviously had his back injury, missed New Zealand series. Um, I completely get why he's not there, but and this isn't being wise after the event. As at the time, England are a better team with Jason Roy in it, and I think they're also a more fun team with Jason Roy in it. That's not to say that why why they're winning or losing. But yeah, but it takes back to the Archer thing, which is like England just have not have not. If their answer was Archer will be fit, that sort of sums up where their preparation has been at for this, because no, there's no evidence of that in the last three years to suggest that even if he had been fit, it would have been negligent to expect him to play nine games in a row. You know, once the tournament started, yeah, they'd been absolutely be a better team for him being there because he is Joffrey Archer. But they won a T20 World Cup last year without him, didn't they? They can win without him. The trouble they've had is that the lads they've got got bowled. They've just not bowled very well. And often in the past, England's batting got themselves out of trouble. But, it, but they've not bowled. But they've not batted very well, or you know, they've not batted well enough to just to, to, to save the bowling. You know, you go back to the first game, two eighty was about hundred under par. So however badly they bowled, your bowlers have a lot more confidence defending three eighty than they do defending two eighty. That's just that's any level of cricket. You know, whether you're playing in the World Cup or you know second level cricket on a Saturday. And they, I think they were also let down by, uh, you know, how Sam Curran and Mark Wood have gone about this World Cup because there was a lot of dependence on them, especially given among this uh, bowling lineup, those are the guys who've bowled the most in the IPL as well. Uh, if you see recent seasons, Sam Curran also, uh, I think he was he he did so well with Punjab, and then uh, Mark Wood this season especially had a, a pretty decent, I would say. He had his moments in this IPL, the last IPL, but he was good. Started with a fifer, and whenever he played, he did well. So there was a lot in reliance given that these two have bowled a lot in these Indian conditions, but again, just didn't click. One thing that's been thrown around quite a lot with uh, problems with, with this one-day side, Nick, is, is the 100. Obviously, that's quite critical of, of this format, and Joe Root's come out against that idea and says that that actually the hundred's not necessarily the problem. It's it's maybe the lack of domestic cricket, which we've kind of talked about as well. But for me, the biggest problem really is that England's sort of first 11 side haven't really played together in this last four years. Yeah, that's the main problem. Like, honestly, honestly, that's not a hundred issue. Like It's a global schedule issue. You know, we've had a, we had a T20 World Cup in 2021. We had a T20 World Cup in 2022. You know, obviously 2020 was COVID year. 2019 was the year of World Cup. Um, 2020 was meant to be the T20 World Cup, then got pushed back here by COVID. So they wanted to play more for Geo cricket. They could find time to play more for Geo cricket. The, the thing with 100 is mean, means you, you lose a month of of international white ball cricket because you could not possibly have 100 being played at the same time as the England white ball team because you'd lose all the best players. Um, not quite the same with the, with the test side, but certainly one day wise. So you say, sure, you lose August. But the, the issue is wider than that. It's Frankly, just the global schedule. If you've got two, ten, if you've got two T20 World Cups two years in a row, you're forced to prepare for those. Because if you if you're playing for over cricket the whole way through 2022, we have the same argument as we're having now. If England went and bombed the, the T20 World Cup last year, so you can't have that both ways. England also play more Test cricket than anyone else because um, because it sells in the UK because it is the it is still the purest format, the best format. But, but abroad, there's not much appeal for a big, you know, for big 50-over series. Frankly, the the the, the shambolic organisation of this World Cup meant that when they first planned the Ireland series, it wasn't meant to be England's B team, you know. But <laughs> but the way this World Cup was organised, you know, to use a you know to use the term very loosely, you know, the, I can't recall the sports tournament being set up worse than this. You know, ticket sales, dates being changed, schedules being changed, all that stuff. So that was three ODIs that they could have. I mean, it rained for one half of them, but but yeah, they, they've not played enough for years. So part of that is sort of the schedule's fault. Well, fault is, is the reality of the schedule and the reality as well of franchise cricket and, and the changing landscape of the game. And part of it's just because of where the, where the format sits with people's priorities. Yeah, it does seem to be getting pushed further and further to the edge, and which is shame because it's genuinely. 
it's a really good format and it didn't help with the 25 crap games in a row to start this tournament. You know, it took, it took the took Pakistan and South Africa to produce a good finish and then we got two in two days. And if we're lucky, you know, we might even get three in a row today. But um, that's not true because we had another game because Bangladesh got rolled by the Netherlands. It's a brilliant format when it's played well, when it's played well by both teams. There are mitigating factors that, you know, until the South Africa game, the South Africa game, when you get pumped to 400 in that heat, you see it so often that a team goes big and the game is done within 35 overs. Because if you if you've if you've been in that heat for as long as in, you know for as long as England were that day, um, I thought I honestly that was the most impressive things about yesterday, the the Australia game. It's so easy to start well on those chases and to fall away, and um, you know, and maybe that is maybe that is a product of, a positive product of T20 cricket or 50 over cricket. Which if you're batting first and you go and you know you real and you're going well, you can go so big that it can just demoralise sides. And if you know you've got to go eight from the start, if you lose three early wickets, the game's done. So, you know, that's that's where we've seen a couple of these complete no-contest games come from. I think also we're just seeing more and more of the sides are pretty evenly matched playing against each other now. I mean, you know, maybe that's complete rubbish, but in my head, it sort of feels like we watched a lot of games between teams that you always sort of expected one side to win from the outset, whereas actually last, these last two days, well, no, last three days, Pakistan, South Africa, uh, Australia, New Zealand, Netherlands, Bangladesh, England, India. At the start of the tournament, you'd have said these are four games where you're genuinely not you're, not, you're not entirely sure where it's going to go. You know, you didn't know then that England and Pakistan would bomb their out of it and lose four in a row. But but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's wrong. And maybe I'm just, it's such a long tournament that you sort of forget. <laughs> so, probably forgetting half the games that have been played. Um, it does feel like it started years ago. It really does. I mean, I think the talk for the next tournament is already to change it a little bit into two groups of seven, I think it is at the moment. Look, if you can play as badly as England have played and not yet be out, that is a bad format. Fact. Like, it is the hill I will die on. And we all know why, we all know why it's like this. Because if you get the top 10 teams in the world playing nine games each and the broadcast money can sell for more, it's, just, it's, pretty, it's pretty, pretty basic. Like, you know... And it should be people who say to you, this is a great format because it gets everyone playing. Everyone, you get an accurate result at the end of it. Maybe it is, but maybe have this over a year. Call it the ODI Championship. Give some context to it, to all. Everyone, you know, it's a 10-team league. Everyone play. Or to call it over the 12-team league and have Ireland and the West Indies. And we'll make it 15 teams. We'll have 14 teams. And have Zimbabwe involved and Scotland and a lot of other very decent sides who would have done as, you know, who frankly would have been similarly competitive to the Netherlands and England. This can exist. Give give the whole thing context. Play for a trophy, make it a year long thing where everyone plays everyone. I, so I think rugby are doing similar, aren't they? They're sort of losing the traditional test tours, as it were, and replacing it with a championship where a ten team championship where everyone plays everyone in designated areas. So you remain you, you retain the the autumn series and the spring series, but you play a different team each time. I think that'd be fantastic. It gives context to it. I can see why it won't happen, but it is just it is just so long and. Sure, the Rugby World Cup took a month and a bit, but those guys have a week, a deserved week off. But that format of watching a game a day, groups, competitive quarterfinals, quarterfinals are brilliant. You know, at the moment, we know that India are going to get to the semifinals, no matter what they do for the next two weeks. Then they'll get to the semifinals, probably having won every game, possibly having won every game. And then we'll get to the semifinal, and if they start like they did today against England, but, but, but knowing that if they lose, they're out. If they're 40 or 3, and then, then they lose right and they're 40 for four. That's, that's the World Cup done. And we've had this nonsense month of everyone playing everyone. You've had these two weeks of dead rubbers where no one's playing for anything. We all sort of know what's going to happen, sort of know where everyone stands. And then we'll get these semi-finals. And you'll have, two, you'll have four teams, well, four teams, two of whom at least, will be fairly under, not undercooked, but won't we'll, have played for anything for two weeks. Um, it, ironically, it really helped England in 2019 because they had to win their last three to get to, get to the semis. But we'll get to this position where we know that India are going to be semi-finalists already, and we have done for a week. If India lose a bad toss in the first game they've played for three weeks that matters, they could be out of their home world, home, home world Cup. Whereas if you have a World Cup where you've got groups of four, and sure, like we, like everyone understands that the ICC, the broadcasters, want India to play Pakistan, that you know they've fudged it for years to make sure they're in the same groups. Um, put them in the same group. You know, do what you've got to do have this great game that doesn't get played off enough and then the end of the group stage you go to quarterfinal and a semi-final and a final and it might not last long it might not make you as much money but as a competition it is just better because what we've got now 
is sort of working because the Netherlands have been great and have won games. We've had upsets and we've had teams that people don't follow the game every day. You know, t- you know, Afghanistan wasn't as big an upset as people make out. They're a very talented team with a lot of guys who play franchise cricket and a lot of guys who are very well suited to these conditions. But Afghanistan beating England is is a surprise to people. It should make, you know, you shouldn't need England to stink the place out for it to be a good tournament. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I think that actually setting up the Cricket World Cup exactly like the Rugby World Cup could make it very interesting, obviously without the weak breaks in the middle. But having four groups of five kind of means that the groups are big enough that losing one game or one upset won't destroy a whole tournament. But if you play like England do, they'll go out winless in the in the group stages, losing to Namibia and, and sort of the sort of associate nations. It's funny, the Netherlands said before this tournament they didn't want to be considered an association. And I understand why, because their view is it puts a ceiling on what they can achieve because it gives them an it, it ties them to a, it ties them to a tag. And that's a great mindset to to come out of. Um because they're competing with nine sides with big, you know, better resource and everything. And but the reality is, they are an association. What, what they've done is brilliant. And I used to work in associate cricket, so I've got enormous amount of time for for them and, and all the other associations. Because I cannot tell you how little they've got to work with versus everyone else. You know, they they were begging for ODIs after they qualified for this and couldn't get any. Cricket is the only cricket is the only tournament in the world is shrinking its own World Cup. You know, football's going from 32 to 48. You know, whatever the arguments are for and against, it is a World Cup. And if, the you know, the World Cup should should represent the world. So on that pretty basic level, I'm not against that. It will make it, will, it, will make it very long and there'll be some one-sided games. And, but there already are, and it already is quite long. It's a World Cup. You know, that rugby World Cup's getting bigger. Whereas England are shrinking it more and more to the point that we've got a World Cup without the West Indies at the moment because they had a pretty, it's been a pretty poor four years. You know, attend to, you know, and, and it is, you're right, it is growing. And it's, I think it's going to 14 teams in 2027. But it is worth, remind, worth remembering that it, it has shrunk since 2007 because there were too many upsets for the ICC's like it. Ireland beat Pakistan. Bangladesh beat Pakistan. They beat India in 2007, yeah. I think I'm right saying this. I think what happened was that because of the upsets, India didn't play Pakistan, which takes away that huge game for the broadcasters, but also for the fans. You know, it is the most watched game of cricket in the world. Um, and it's no coincidence that since, since then we've had this situation where it's almost been, you know, the great irony of England blowing it like they have done this World Cup is that this tournament is set up to minimise the jeopardy for the good side, you know, for the sides that people expect, to, for the big sides, basically. In an ideal world, the ICC, England, Australia, India, Pakistan, are the, are the semi-finalists. Because that they are they are they are big markets, and they are your money makers. Really, it's no coincidence that it's gone that way since since two thousand and seven when when we didn't when we had a World Cup that wasn't you know that that turned out different results and different storylines and prevented some of those things from happening. But yeah, like I said, it's it's great because you're watching a month of very good cricket and very good cricketers, and it's lovely having a game a day. You know, like we all love a football World Cup where you can lock in on, at your, on your sofa for three games of football. You know. No one gives a shit about Poland v Qatar, but we're all going to watch it because it's the World Cup. Like, and that's great. And, and and frankly, that applies to the Netherlands v Bangladesh yesterday, doesn't it? Like, there'll be people who, as a general rule, would not care, but we'll sit there and watch it because it's a World Cup. But you can have too much of a good thing. You know, we've got a Champions Trophy in in 2025, which is essentially the same thing, isn't it? The top eight teams of the world. The World Cup is for the world, so invite the world. Otherwise, this is just an extended Champions Trophy. Yeah, I. Although we haven't seen. Yeah. 
many tight matches until the last couple. We've seen a lot of upsets, and it really has shown the growth of the smaller nations, the associate nations like Netherlands, and also the old associate nations such as Afghanistan, who are new test sides. Do you think that this is just another reason why they need more teams in this World Cup and to try and change the format and and make it a World Cup, as Nick's been saying? Yeah, absolutely. That That's what it does come down to, right? Like Nick said, that it's the World Cup and why the world? And it, it, it has to be that way. I mean, like the ICC is trying to do that through the 20-over format, as we've been seeing. The next year's World Cup is going to be 20 teams again, uh, the, the one in the Caribbean and the USA. And but yeah, it's it's the the World Cup has to have these teams and get these associate nations to play a lot more cricket here as well. It, it just it just makes it for a it's very exciting, doesn't it? The upsets that we've seen, the kind of cricket that the Netherlands have been playing on and off. Yeah, it's 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 not been consistent. But and crucially, no one else will be consistent either. Exactly. You won't see you won't see more one sided game at a World Cup for a while than South Africa than South Africa England. No matter who you invite, you know, no matter no matter who qualifies. And yeah, you know, and it's and it's funny because if that had been Oman losing by two hundred runs through to South Africa, we'd no doubt have, have people saying, "Oh, you know, this isn't what a World Cup should look like." But England going to sink the place out in that game, and we and we have none of that, do we? Like it's 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 all built on snobbery. Like you know, it still exists in the T Twenty World Cup. The first week of the T Twenty World Cup is still called is still called the qualifying round. When the reality is that you know these countries, associations qualified for the World Cup the previous year, and yet you get to this first round of the World Cup. That's still considered. That is that's still called the qualifying round. It is just it's part of the World Cup. It's really good. There's a good piece by Phil Walker of Wisdom earlier in the week. He sort of said that we're obviously around the talk about the ICC and the future of the world of, of, of this World Cup. He said what other sport midway through its world its own World Cup would be sat in, would, would be sat there preparing for meetings about whether this should happen again? It's a great game. It's just got this like fetish for harming itself. It's um, maddening. You know, even today, George Bell has been it's reporting that um, 2025 Champions Trophy is going to feature only the two, only the top eight teams in this World Cup. But most of the teams didn't know that until today. It is not a game that helps itself a lot of the time. You have to look at Game One, in Ahmedabad, 130,000 seat stadium. If you're gonna ho- if you're gonna have your opening game of the World Cup in, in 130,000 seat stadium, you've got to sell those tickets. And if you've got to sell those tickets, put India there, you know. Or, and, and frankly, sell tickets in advance, sell them at affordable prices, make it easy for people to get into the ground. Don't have a situation where they get with a World Cup starts with a World Cup of this format that is. I don't want to call it struggling. I think it's a brilliant format, but yeah, this World Cup, this World Cup, of this format that needs that needs a leg up and a bit of help. Help it. Don't have your you know don't have the World Cup start in front of you know however many hundred people were in that ground. It doesn't help anyone. There's no, there's no common sense, and the crowds have picked up, and that is true. And they've been brilliant when India have been playing, and uh, you know as you'd hope and as you'd expect. But there's still far too many stories of how complex it's been for supporters to get to the grounds if they wanted to, but also how many people haven't been able to travel because of how late the schedule came out, and and, and how many changes that, and, and the changes that were to the schedule once the schedule even came out. So England, for example, tends to be the biggest, you know, have a pretty decent travelling following wherever they go. Having England fly to nine different venues doesn't make it very difficult for a, a bunch of travelling supporters, and it, it doesn't, you know, as great as it was for India Pakistan to break all these streaming records, um, you know that that is doesn't help the notion that no one's really thought about the actual paying fans, and that's not just this World Cup. That is very much a, gen, a general you know, sporting thing rather than cricket thing, but. That could be an amazing spectacle. First game World Cup, 130,000 seat stadium. How can we get 130,000 people into that stadium? That's got to be the thought process. Thought process can't just be World Cup starts today, let's go. Because if there were, you know, unless everyone came dressed in like orange seats, there were not 130, there were not 30,000 people then, let alone 130,000 people. Your colleague George DeBell also wrote an article last week about the sort of future of cricket, and you've been mentioning it there a little bit. It seems a bit weird that considering the 2027 World Cup has pretty much been sorted already and they already know the format, that they are still talking about whether or not it might go ahead. Do you think that there is any chance of it all being scrapped? No, no, I think it'll go ahead. It's the it's, it's, it'll go ahead. It's the format in which it goes ahead. Whether that means, I don't actually know what that means, what it's worth, but there will be, there are, there are, you're, you're right, there are more World Cups, the broadcast schedule. So they will, they will, they will 100% take place. It's whether 
it happens in the format that we've seen. This one, it's whether it's whether it's fifty overs. You know, it won't be twenty overs, but you know, these these used to be sixty overs. These World Cups, I I would be perfectly happy and frankly in favour of a forty over World Cup. Forty over is, I think, forty over cricket is a brilliant format. I love it. Um, I think it's good. I think it's fun. It's slightly shorter day, and it's a little. It'd be interesting. I think it's a little bit closer to T Twenty cricket. And if you're gonna, if you can have a situation where teams aren't playing as many fifty over internationals or domestically, whatever, then having a format that is a little bit more recognisable to the players who are playing it, then that can only help. You know, forty over was the, you know, the CV forty was a great competition here, domestic cricket for a while. I don't want to call that boring bit, but that bit in the middle is a bit shorter. It, I think it'd be really interesting. I, I'd say I've got no, I say no authority. I don't know it's going to be like that, but. I wouldn't be against it, but I wouldn't be against something fifty overs because I think if you do this right, it's a really good tournament. And actually, um, for what it's worth, the Rugby World Cup was a bit like this because, not to say it was very good, you do also have days when, you know, New Zealand play Uruguay, and, you know, you've got to be a real purist to, to tune in and think it's going to be worth watching. But the knockout stages of that tournament were fan- like were genuinely, and I don't really, I don't watch any rugby for four years between World Cups, but that was brilliant sport. Because of, because it because of stuff riding on it, so I've got no I've got no doubt the back end of this tournament will be tournament will be fantastic, because they always are. You know, if you think of the semi-finals of the last World Cup. I've never seen an England sports team play better than they did against Australia at Edgbaston, and I don't think I've seen many better fifty more dramatic fifty over games than the, than the two day game between India and New Zealand. And um, then obviously the final was the final. Everyone talks about that, but actually, if you think back to the last bit of that of that comp, even go back to when England needed to win those games in the group stage, when it matters, when there is stuff riding on it, when there's jeopardy, World Cups are fantastic, fantastic things, which is why, going back to what we were saying before, this could be so much better than it is. So you've got all these games that are playing out for little, you know, with little jeopardy on them, with little, you know, fact is, if England had beaten Afghanistan, if England had beaten Sri Lanka, if, if everything went by the rankings, you'd, you'd have a pretty dull group stage. Um, thankfully, sports not just played through the ICC rankings, but but you could make this so much better with a bit more context on every game. By as I said right at the start of this, if you lose four games in a row, it's mental that you can still win the World Cup. If England were to win this World Cup, they'd have they'd have lost to two fifths of the team at the tournament, two fifths of the teams at the tournament. Anyone else in any other sport, if you told them that, I'd just think your sport was insane. It is it is mental. Yeah, as as you say, no other sport is like that. Are you looking forward to the future, particularly for England? What do you think that they'll be able to do over the next four years, the next cycle? And what do you think that they'll have learned most from their failures this time around? Changes are coming, aren't they? I mean, it's also the stuff that we spoke about the last time with uh, the England team, uh, everyone above 30 years of age in that last game that they took the field for. Uh, So, of course, changes are going to be coming. Uh, I think... Yeah, looking at the next four years, I, I'm not sure. The, the, this problem is going to be there where they are not going to play a lot of ODI cricket, aren't they? What happened from 2019 to until now, I think that's going to happen again. I don't think that England are really going to be like, wow, okay, 2023 in India was an absolute disaster. We've got to now put more focus on the ODI structure, on that 50-over structure, have more games in between the World Cup. Maybe they'll try to do a little bit more than they did in the build-up. It, interestingly, I think that's the one thing. I think that's the one thing England will do. I don't think they won't change. They won't change the domestic structure for, the, for this. But I do think there'll be a bit of sort of tacit admission that they got the international schedule wrong. I don't think they, you know, like because they they really do pride themselves on how good they are at this. Like they've been a brilliant, brilliant white ball team, and it's a real shame that. But I think genuinely the sad thing is that they've been a bit of a laughing stock here because they've been an amazing white ball team for eight years and they've had frankly a rubbish few weeks like in the context of eight years they've they've set and broke their own world record three times for the highest score in ODI cricket you know no one else has got near them I think five of the eight 400 plus scores that have come since 2015 have been by England like they they've been brilliant and they've had a pretty shoddy couple of weeks that shouldn't take that shouldn't take away from what like the legacy of this team should not be this it should be how fantastically good they became from an, like a pretty abject base, and yeah, the changes they made and, and the things they did to, to get to this point. Um, they've been like they've been fantastic. 
there's, there's been a lot of people say, a lot of guys in the camp who said we genuinely don't know what's happening. But there have also been guys in that camp who said it would have been useful to play a bit more, to play a bit more ODI cricket. They played three random T20s before they played three ODIs against New Zealand. There's no reason why those shouldn't have been six ODIs. Would have helped both teams. World Cup coming up, play six ODIs. I think there, I think there probably was some complacency that maybe not complacency. I think they've possibly realised through this tournament that there maybe is a bit more of a difference between formats than they believed. That being brilliant twenty over cricketers isn't enough on its own. You know that obviously helps, but but you do still need that time to get back into the rhythm of 50 over cricket. So actually, I think that is the, so they won't change things structurally. I really don't think they should because I don't think this is a this is not a team that's lost because of structure. It's a team that's lost because they've had a, they played pretty poorly. Like even without the ODIs, ODIs this summer, they would have they they should have played better than they have done. But I do think going forward we might see a couple more. I do think they'll play a few more because they they have looked an awful lot like they've just phoned us in and hoped it'd be all right on the night. It's funny, like, in 2015, when they sacked Cook on the eve of the tournament as captain and gave it to Morgan, that was phoned in. You know, let's see how it goes. You know, they were, you know, Gary Balance at number three. Um, you know, like, like that was not a well-thought-through side at all. Whereas, I think, I suspect there's a bit of shame that the perception they've given off is that they don't care about these things because they really, you know, between Morgan and Butler, who've shared this four-year period, you know, they've hired Matthew Mott as a white ball head coach. So they they they, they do, they, they care and and they're very, very good at it. And I think they'll go away from this. And the one thing they might do is go, you know, we could have helped them a bit more with some preparation. Yeah, and I'd like this. I personally, I'd love to see them play more ODIs. Uh, they might have to find some teams to play, but <laughs> <laughs> and you know, like you mentioned, that they fixed, they put in those three T20s along with those three ODIs. It, it's so close to the World Cup. You saw that in India and the West Indies as well. They're playing three ODIs, but they're playing five T20s in just a few months, couple of months away from the World Cup. Yeah, I know they want to get those couple of games in Florida as well. All of that was part of it, but. Three months away from the World Cup, you're playing three ODIs and you're playing five T20s. And that's where it's going. Is this even in a World Cup year, they just want to put those T20Is in the middle of wherever they can. I think we can't forget as well that this sort of the future for this England side is bright as well. I mean, you look at the players who haven't been selected for the squads, the the sort of depth they have. I mean, Ben Duckett's been great in this sort of period. Will Jackson's effectively the incumbent T20 opener and has been brilliant as well. Um, I mean, Gus Atkinson bowled fantastically, I thought, in the one game he's played. Brian Cast gets drafted in and I think could be a star for the future. And I think there is still a lot of hope going forward for this England side and it, it's almost now going to depend how can they sort of filter through these youngsters and, and cycle around to, to the next tournament in four years' time. Yeah, I also don't think, I don't think the changes should be as wholesale as people maybe think they will be. You know, there are a couple of guys who won't make it to the next World Cup. So, Dan Milan's 36 now, I think. So, Milan, you'd think, will probably play final ODI against the Netherlands at the end of this tournament. You know, Mark Wood is 33. You wouldn't think he'd still be, you know, I mean, you wouldn't think it'd be worthwhile to pick him for four years in, in ODI cricket. You know, but a lot of the guys before this World Cup, so they wanted to keep going until 2027. So, whether that's Bairstow or Stokes or Root, you know, but this would be Moeen's last ODI. Um, but bear in mind, they signed all these guys, re-signed these guys on central contracts. So there's an expectation they'll still be around. Adil Rashid, I doubt, has another World Cup in him, um, unfortunately. And he'll probably be the one who's toughest to replace. You know, Josh Butler will still be the captain in the next World Cup. Going back to you know, very probably the first thing we said in this podcast, like, the guys we're listing here are gun white ball players. And a lot of them should re- should retire on their turn. The idea of dropping Josh Butler because he's had a bad World Cup be, you know, criminally insane. Like, and they won't do it. And and this is the thing. I think there is still there is still a spine in this side that will be there in four years' time. Sam Curran's four years further on. You know, you'd like to think his game's developed for you know by four more years and he's still involved. Liam Livingston's still young enough. Whether Liam Livingston is the only cricketer that maybe think he is, I'm not convinced. You know, for his top, he had a bit of luck with injuries. Who knows? You know, Chris Wokes has been his last World Cup. But certainly for, you know, a lot of that top six, like, the, the, do you know what I mean? Like, the, the, they're not, it's not like you're going to have. Jacks, Crawley, Duckett as your top three, you know, before you know it. Um, so, and obviously Harry Brooks in the squad as well. Harry Brook is the future of it all. So, they've, they've got a very big pool of players. I wouldn't discount the guys who have played here. Quickly, be- before we finish off this podcast, 
We'll have a few few predictions from you, Nick. Myself and I picked England to win the World Cup before the tournament. Um, we've both changed our tune since, I think, which is fair enough. But who do you think will be the the two finalists and who do you think will win that final then? Because the four semi-finalists are fairly obvious now, it looks like. For no good reason, before the World Cup started, I said Australia would win it. And <laughs> I don't know. I think they're, I don't, they're a lot like England. They've come into the tournament completely muddled. The weather different for England. They've got so many players in in Nick. I don't know. I genuinely, I just just so I don't have to be really honest to say India. I, if India don't win it, I think Australia will win it. I, I think I think the final will be India v Australia because I suspect it will end up with. I suspect they end up with New Zealand and South Africa in third and fourth. Also, South Africa third, New Zealand fourth, maybe. And we all know what South Africa are like in the semi-finals. The really interesting thing, and this this talk going back to what we said about India batting first here, if it, South Africa. Love batting first, and you love chasing. If either one of those gets past to do the, the thing they don't want to do first, in a knockout game. See, if South Africa get asked to chase in a semi-final, yeah, there wouldn't be many South Africans who banked on them to win. So, but but they've but equally like Australia, like India, like New Zealand, they've got so many players playing really well right now. But uh, just purely to stick with what I originally said before the tournament, that was on the back of no good thinking. Uh, I think Australia, sort of, in spite of themselves could do it if India don't India should win and probably will win but if they were to bat first and be two for three again as they were against Australia last time and then you don't have the brilliant partnership that follows then you know who knows but it would take something that of that kind of that would take something that mental for India not to win it I think well I think there's there's always an opportunity for that and and there's only one way to find out you see them playing England right now and they're slightly slipping away from it all that is all we have time for. And thank you so much for joining us on this podcast, Nick. It's been great to have you on and, and hear your thoughts. And uh, we'll now see, I guess, whether Australia go on to, to win it. No worries at all. Thank you. And thank you for listening to this podcast. It's been another great episode with a great guest. We've got a few articles coming out. I'll be hopefully releasing one on, on Surrey and their dominance within the county game. Uh, obviously, we'll have our usual Cricket World Cup weekly roundup as well. And I usually be releasing an article about Canadian cricket and their amazing qualification for the T20 World Cup. So make sure you head over to the Sports Gazette website uh, to read all of those articles as well as many more on many other sports. Thank you all for listening and we'll be back in a couple days for our usual bi-weekly Cricket World Cup coverage. See you then. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.